Our children are dismissed for their time of worship and learning. As they leave us, let the rest of us bow and pray together. We are grateful, O God, for many good gifts this day. Sometimes we come into a place like this and don't know what to say, don't know what to, how to express our deepest feelings. We are grateful for beautiful music, for ancient words of scripture which help us form the words of faith and gratitude that we feel. We pray this day that your word will be heard in all that is said and done and that people will be open to the whisper of your voice even in the midst of sermon or song so that they can be equipped to be the boys and girls, the men and women. You're calling them to be even this day. We are gathered in this particular place in this particular time, but we are not alone. There are sisters and brothers up and down this street and all around our city all around the world and in all time and space who have worshipped you, the great mystery of life. And so together now we employ the words that Jesus long ago gave us so that we might unite our hearts with them as we pray to you, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. A class of students was given a test to determine their ability to pay attention to details. It was a six-page test, lots of multiple questions, multiple choice questions. At the, at the top, though, it said this. Read all the instructions before beginning. You have one hour to complete, all the, the, to complete this test. It's multiple choice, only answer one per question. And be sure to fill in your bubble as fully as you can with your number two pencil, all the things that we've all heard before. Most people read about half of the instructions and immediately started into the answers. But there were a few people in the class who read those instructions all the way to the last sentence where they read these words. If you've read this far, don't answer any questions. Simply put your name and an A at the top of the page. For you have read all the way to the end and have passed. Everyone else fails. Wisdom is the ability to see and understand the big picture, all the instructions, and accept it and to act accordingly. Jesus was walking with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, discussing the various theories about who he was and what he was all about. Some people thought he was a voice from the past, John the Baptist or Elijah from long ago or maybe just one of the other prophets. Then Jesus poses that personal question. Who do you say that I am? 
It was Simon Peter who answers. Simon Peter is always the representative for the group, the disciples, always the representative for the church. So Simon Peter chimes up, you are the Messiah. You're the one sent from God as gift to this world to reunite us, to reconcile us, to reboot this world and bless it and forgive it and to make it one again. You're the Messiah. And then Mark says, Jesus sternly told them, don't tell anyone about me. As Carol said several times in last week's sermon, really? Really? I mean, when's the last time you've heard a minister say to the church, now when you leave here, don't tell anyone about Highland, you know? Why didn't Jesus want his disciples to go talking about him? I had a friend named Elton who used to tell me about these delivery men who were so dumb that when they would come from their warehouse to deliver something at his business, they had to send two delivery men because, he said, one knew the directions how to get to his place and the other one knew the directions how to get back home. In other words, they only had half of the picture. At this point, Jesus' disciples know maybe half of the gospel. Half of the good news. It's like knowing half of a recipe or only reading half of a set of instructions. So don't tell anyone about this. But then Mark immediately says, Jesus began to teach them, in the words of that old commentator Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. The rest of the story is this. The Son of Man, that's his name for himself, must endure great suffering and be rejected by the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. I don't think he told this, predicted this, as some kind of divine fortune teller who could read into the future, but rather as a person who is so open to God, so understanding of the human condition, That it's almost like a coach watching a play unfold as it's executed where he sees the big picture and understands how it all hangs together. He recognizes and is in touch with the effect of fear on the human condition and how fear will even infect and pollute the message that he comes to bring. He's so in touch with our fear, which is why he's always saying to people, don't be afraid. Don't be, there's nothing to be afraid of. Don't be afraid. For while this Messiah comes to reboot and bless and reconcile and forgive and make everything one, to be a wise and clear-headed disciple, to know the whole picture is to embrace this reality that the way we talk about in this church, the way Jesus came to present this new way, truth, and life, will always collide with human egos, human fears, human tendency to compete and achieve and always live by strict rules that allow some to be in and others to be rejected. This is wisdom. This is seeing the big picture. 
anticipating that this conflict that Jesus didn't come to incite is going to happen, and then to act accordingly. It was true that the Pharisees had already been uh, snipping at Jesus, biting at his heels, asking questions, trying to trip him up, raising doubts about who he is and what he did. For the Pharisees had worked hard to attain the position of power over others that they had, they had amassed. They loved to, be in, to dominate other people. They loved being the ones in control to say who's in and who's out. And along comes Jesus, who basically sets the prisoners free. He reads from Isaiah and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, released to the captives. He wants people to be free, and they don't want people to be free. Jesus is to the Pharisees what Napster is to the recording industry. He's given away all the good free stuff. And in a world of privatization, where human worth can be owned and parceled out, a Messiah who says everyone is loved equally by God, every child is as precious as Hazel, Every child matters. Refugee children, your child, my child, the child in the West End, every child matters. This is not good news. This is not good news for those who want to keep love exclusive. The fact of the matter is, if we today ignore this part of Jesus' teaching, if somehow we can... we presume naively that this Jesus way will be welcomed like some long-lost hero, we're going to be sorely disappointed. In fact, the way of Jesus is always experienced as a threat to the larger culture. They will demonize it. They will rename it as a threat. They'll call it liberal or socialist or a perversion. We know this. It's what they did to Jesus. They called him a drunk. They accused him of eating with sinners. They said that he violated the laws. And let's be quick to note, it wasn't just bad people who did this. It was the religious people, the people who got up and showed up for the 11 o'clock service at the synagogue. It was good people. They sounded so religious, so so righteous, when in reality what they were doing was feeding their own egos by holding on to the traditions and claiming to stand for God. When in reality what they were doing was feeling threatened, losing their standing and their power over others. And I'll let you decide if this sounds like any events in eastern Kentucky that have made the national news of late. But Jesus anticipated this. He told us about it. So he's saying don't be discouraged by it. Don't be surprised. Don't be derailed by it. When you talk about the kingdom of God as he does. The kingdom of God who welcomes all in. The kingdom of God that's about grace and forgiveness. The kingdom of God which is about abundance and banquets and compassion and reconciling enemies. Resistance is going to come. Egos are going to be threatened. Power is going to be threatened. And will turn it on its head. The gospel of inclusion will become the gospel of exclusion. 
The gospel of grace and forgiveness will become the gospel of law and moral perfection. The gospel of abundance and banquets will be will devolve into a gospel of scarcity where it's rationed, where love and grace and comfort are rationed. The gospel of compassion will be reduced to the gospel of judgment. And reconciliation, where doors are opened and all are welcome, will become a gospel of divide and conquer, a gospel of polarization and segregation and demonization. These weren't just the bad guys. These were the good guys. And as if to reiterate the point, none other than Simon Peter, our representative, the representative of the church, the one in our windows, the one that Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church. Simon Peter goes to Jesus and says, ooh, ooh, you are off the beam, Messiah. This is no way to run a movement. What leader would predict losing to your adversary? Now, I don't know exactly what Simon Peter said to Jesus. I don't know if he was worried about Jesus scaring off the disciples or if he just kind of wanted to keep the message positive or if he didn't believe that Jesus would really be challenged in this way. But we can be assured that suffering and rejection and being killed simply didn't line up or sync up with Simon Peter or our understanding of the good way. In fact, for Simon Peter and for most of us, it sounds like nonsense, which is why years later, after Jesus had died and rose, the Apostle Paul would look back on it and refer to it with, with affection as the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the cross. Our choir just sang about surveying the wondrous cross. It is wondrous. But in the eyes of the world, it will always be foolish. And if we forget this part of the gospel, if all we walk out of here with is Jesus is Lord, and don't remember that this way is a way that is contrary to the way of this world, we're going to be derailed and disappointed. I think this is why, over the centuries, the church has ever so subtly altered the definition of who Messiah is and what it means for you and me to be followers of Jesus. I don't know that anyone intended this, but just out of our ego fears, we have reduced it so that faith and following Jesus has been reduced to a formula. This way of Jesus has been reduced to just a bunch of words. This call to transformation has been reduced to doctrines. And God, who liberates, who sets people free and empowers us to be the people of God, has been reduced to this distant, harsh curmudgeon. Jesus has been reduced from the truth teller, the very wisdom of God, to this kind of magical Messiah who saves us by dying. And, and, and if we believe it, we'll go to heaven. Do you see what happens? The Christian, draw, the Christian story, this Christian way, gets reduced to some kind of ritual drama rather than a dynamic, God-is-with-you kind of courage that allows us, just compels us to invest our lives in things that matter for the work of God, whether we're talking about immigration, 
or racism or homophobia or materialism or sexism or fear. Listen, fear sells. In fact, I think fear may sell better than sex. Lord have mercy. This tug of war between Jesus and the religious establishment. 2,000 years later is the tug of war between the gospel and the culture in which we find ourselves. And it illustrates so beautifully and powerfully this push and pull of life. Will we cast our lives? Will we give our lives individually and as a community of faith to God's wildly inclusive love, to God's harmony of the world altogether, to this love that forgives and redeems and restores every person or will our fear cause us to use whatever is at our disposal even religion to foment division and discord and fear can we at least admit this morning that we all fluctuate Sometimes we're on one side, sometimes we're on the other side. We're pulled between here and there, between Messiah and the mob, between saying with the centurion, truly this was the Son of God, and the crowd who's yelling, crucify him, kill him. That place between trusting this wisdom way and frankly sometimes doubting that it's true. There's not one among us who hasn't had a moment here or there, now or then, where we've wondered, does love really win? We know it doesn't win immediately. But ultimately, does love win? Andrew Young, the former ambassador to the United Nations and mayor of the city of Atlanta, Georgia, tells the story on himself about the time that his daughter, a beautiful, talented college graduate, came to him and said to him, Dad, I I feel called of God to go to the African nation of Uganda and serve. Young said, "I, I said to her, oh, honey, with your education and your capabilities, there's so many places in the world that you can serve, and I can set you up in any, really, in any country. She said, I feel called to go to Uganda. He said to her, well, there's lots of needs even here in, this own, in our own country. Here in Atlanta, there are needs. She said, Dad, you know there are plenty of people to address the needs here. Who's going to meet the needs of the people of Uganda? He said, it's violent there, and I can't protect you in Uganda. She said, I'm not asking for your protection. I'm telling you that I'm being called to Uganda, and I believe that God will protect me. He slammed down his fist and said, you just don't understand Idi Amin and what a madman he is. She said, Dad, God called me to Uganda. As Young tells the story, it was just about a month later that he stood in the airport and watched the plane take off that would take his daughter from the safety of Atlanta to the nation of Uganda. He turned to a friend and said, you know, we baptized her. We raised her in this faith, but I have to admit, I wanted her to be a respectable Christian, not a real Christian. 
this way of wisdom, this call of God, be aware that in the sanctuary it all sounds good. But when you walk out these doors, how will it play? This way of wisdom asks us, am I fighting to win the argument? Or am I fighting to bear the love of God in the world? Is it more important for me to be right? Or is it more important for me to be loving? Is it more important for me to have purity? Or is it more important for me to have unity? Is righteousness defined by rules and fear of the unknown? Or is it defined by the way, the truth, and life that is Jesus the Christ? Now, what I like to do is ask those questions about other people. I want to ask Kim Davis or Donald Trump those questions. But Jesus says, before you take the splinter out of your neighbor's eye, first take the log out of your own eye. Am I? Are you walking the way of wisdom? This costly way. It crucifies our egos and sends us out into the world to be crucified in other ways where it's violently opposed and there are attempts to snuff it out. It almost sounds like a suicide mission. Take up your cross knows that the powers will violently oppose this way. But there's one more little piece, one more little piece to the story. You've got to read the instructions all the way to the end before you begin to work. Yes, he's the Messiah. Yes, the Son of Man must undergo suffering and be rejected by the scribes, the chief priests, and the elders, and be killed. And on the third day, rise again. Powers will lose. On the third day, Jesus will rise again. Who Messiah is, this way, this truth, this life, will not be stifled forever. It will rise up. And all will be revealed. All will be reconciled. All will be reunited. All will be restored. So the question you and I have is which one of the pools will we respond to? The pool of safety and security the pool of culture to just go along and get along? Or will we choose to walk in this way as we hear God speak to us, even as a whisper, come, follow me? Let's pray together. We ask for the courage and the insight to hear all of your instruction and to gladly, willingly, joyfully trust in this way and truth and life. To you, resurrected Christ, now be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. The hymn is now.